Hey everyone, welcome to the Royal Podcast of Oz. This is Jerry Davis, and today we have Jerry Robbins of Colonial Radio Theater. Hey Jerry, how you doing? I'm great. How are you doing tonight? All right. And um, the reason why we have him on an Oz podcast is that back in 2000, they produced, uh, the Colonial Radio Theater produced five uh, audio adaptations of Elfling Baum's first five Oz novels that won uh, an award, right? Yeah, they um, won the Parents' Choice Award. All five of them. You know, they were released in a set originally, so the, the first five books. I have that set. <laughs> oh, really? The old ones on cassette? Uh-huh. Oh, wow. Those are collector's items now, I suppose. Really? I saw one on eBay for $100. Did it sell? I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was there. I thought, wow. Yeah, because we released that with our first publisher and it was right around the time that CDs were becoming very prominent in cars uh, which you know today we just take it for granted every car is a CD player but 1999 2000 they still were not dominant in cars but they just started to be so you know like within a year or two so we just missed the boat on that one we should have we should have put them out on CDs, and I think it would have had a little longer shelf life at the time in its first release. Now, Colonial Radio Theater is, of course, radio theater. Uh, you want to explain about how uh, Colonial Radio Theater got started? Well, we started... Uh, I, I used to be an actor on stage, and I get a little tired of of doing that, so I I got started on radio theater in the 1980s, but... There wasn't any internet, and there wasn't any how-to anywhere on how to do a radio play. So I used to buy little cassettes of old-time radio shows, and I'd write out the scripts with a typewriter. Listen to the show, hit the pause button, write out the line, and that's how we did it. And uh, I did a ton of these, and I used to have my friends come over, and we'd record them, and you know, just for fun mainly. And... uh, and after a, a few years and a hundred or so of these shows, um, they started getting really, really good. And a friend of mine called me up, and he's sort of an entrepreneur, and he said that you know we should try doing these as original shows. Try try doing some original shows because we we live here in Boston, and we have such a, a rich history here in Boston. So I said, let's do some some history cassettes, but make them like radio dramas. So we did one on the Revolutionary War about the battles of Concord and Lexington, and it got in uh, after about a year. We got it in a whole bunch of gift shops. Um, became a, a, a very good seller for us. We went on to do other shows, and that was in 1995. So round. Um, early 2000s, I I thought, well, this is great. You know, it's a lot of fun. We're doing pretty good with it. But I wanted to try doing some 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 novels and adaptations. I think I think the first one we did was Treasure Island. And uh that was what got me started doing classic literature. So we did that. It seemed to do pretty good and and that's what led to where we are today some 420 shows later. Hmm. Okay, and so uh, what made you decide to go to Oz? Um, 
Well, let me. I'm trying to think because it, it has. It's been a long time, and I believe. Let me let me get this right. I think what happened was we we. I think I just wanted to do the original Oz book, and uh, I had a uh, my cousin at the time. She was only three years old, and we used to babysit her about four days a week. And I showed her the movie, the, the MGM movie, and I didn't think she'd even get it, you know, because she was so little, uh, especially the black and white stuff. I just saw myself, I said, well, I'll probably have to fast forward to where it's in color, you know. And she was hooked from the beginning. And from that time on, every day, we had to run The Wizard of Oz. And um, so I, 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 what happened was I, I thought, well, okay, let me get her some stuff to color. So I went on the computer and I was just looking, I just Googled like Oz pictures, coloring and stuff like that. And I found a bunch of pictures that I was able to print out that she could color. And I came across the online text for the book. And I thought, boy, this might be interesting. You know, we might, maybe this would be a good one to do. So I, I looked around to see who else had done it. And I, I saw, I think, another company that had done a, a full cast version. I read the review. They said it was more based on the movie. And if we do anything out of a book, I want to do the book. I don't want to do the book with my my ideas in it, you know. I want to do what the author wrote. So um, I called up my business partner, Mark, and I said, what do you think? Well, let's, let's do The Wizard of Oz. Well, he hates The Wizard of Oz. Hates it. I don't know. I think he was frightened by the flying monkeys when he was a kid. But he just he doesn't like the movie, so he said, "I don't know." I said, "Well, you know, I think it's going to be a good idea." So I wrote the script out of the out of that text, and um, and then I discovered there were a whole bunch more books which I didn't know. I you know I, I I'm not a big Wizard of Oz aficionado. I like the movie, but I, I I don't recall reading the book as a kid. So. Um, I saw all these other books that L. Frank Baum had written, and suddenly, you know, I'm seeing, ooh, series, because I, I like the idea of, of a series, and, and people get familiar with it, and it's just it's just nice, and if you do one, you should do them all, you know? So we recorded the first one. I was very excited about it. We didn't really have plans to do the others. It was just in the back of my head, and I recorded the first one after I wrote the script, and it was sort of okay. I, I wasn't uh, exactly thrilled with it. We we put the we did the music. You know, Jeff Gage, my uh, music partner, uh, wrote an incredible score for the Oz shows. I think in the end we ended up writing over 170 different cuts of music, which is extraordinary. You know, a usual two-hour show is going to have maybe 50 cuts of music. Um, so we. I discovered this girl on stage who I really thought would be a great Dorothy. I went to see her, and she was fantastic in, in, in a play that I saw her in. And I, I got her to do the show, and she showed up, and she was not very good, really not good. I don't know if she hadn't read the script or she was just reading it for the first time or whatever, but she, she was not a good Dorothy. Um, and I was a little disappointed but I thought, well, we can get by. It's not it's not a bus accident, but she's just not what she should be. But I thought, yeah, whatever. Let's, let's just see what, what happens. So we sent the show to our publisher. And he said, this is great, but you got to replace the Dorothy. 
so that was my um my cue that yeah all right when in doubt leave it out so we we needed to do that i decided to re-record the entire show which we did now i think we did the first one in march of uh march of 2000 and in the meantime i had been writing the other scripts so here we had this two hour two and a half hour wizard of oz that has never been heard publicly. It's still in my desk drawer. And in the meantime, I started doing the next one. I, I wrote The Marvelous Land of Oz, and then Ozma, and then Dorothy and the Wizard, and finally The Road to Oz. And these were all done with just in a period of a few months. And I found uh, the, the next one, we didn't have to have Dorothy in it. Um, so I, I recorded that in October. I think we started taping in, no, September, I'm sorry. September of 2000. And um, and then we did, uh, I'm wondering if I have this right. I'm <laughs> thinking it might be 1999 we're talking about here. But because the show, I think, was released in 2000 or 2001. I can't remember. I think it was 2000, 2000. I think I'm right. So anyway, we did The Marvelous Land of Oz. I was very happy with it. I thought, this is now, this is cooking. It's it's what I want. And we did all the others. So believe it or not, the, the, the Wizard of Oz that you hear today in our series was the last one we taped. We taped it last. We did that uh, in late November. And then everything went off to the publisher uh, when they were edited and they were released um, a few months later. And I wanted to do more. We actually did start a few years after that. We started the Emerald City of Oz. I actually recorded it, and um, I edited the first part of the whole, the first CD worth, and um, I shelved it. I didn't like it. I thought the casting was wrong. Um, I had some actors that were supposed to be doing multiple voices, and they, they couldn't do multiple voices. Everything sounded the same. And I was, I, I was a little odd out, because when you work on a show like that, they were they were about two and a half hours each. That's a lot of a lot of time writing and editing. It's thousands of hours. So I think by the time I started Emerald City, when I didn't like what I was hearing, um, I just didn't have the energy to uh, to continue it. So we sort of stopped it. And every month I get an email: When are we going to finish the Oz series? So I knew it was. I knew people liked it. You know, we had some critics and stuff, and some people didn't. But a lot of criticisms comparing it with the movie and whatnot. And those are people that just weren't familiar with uh, with the book, as as I was in the beginning. I didn't know there were silver shoes, you know. <laughs> but um, but there you have it. That's how we we did it, and uh, they were they've been in release ever since. It's been 11 years now. And Brilliance, we we just signed with Brilliance Audio, and they began to re-release the products and. Um, I did some re-editing on them. They're a little shorter than the original release versions. Um, I tightened them up a little bit and removed some scenes that I didn't think were quite quite up to par with what we're capable of doing today. And um, I enhanced them a lot. We put in some extra sound effects that weren't there before. So it's they're really they're fun and and they're great for kids. They're a little scary, I think, but. <laughs> they're they're uh, they're timeless stories, as you know. And we just we just did the Emerald City over again. We just taped it in um, 
July. Uh, we recorded the whole thing with a brand new cast. We have a new Dorothy in, uh, who took over from Amy Strack. And uh, some of the original cast are back. And in September, we're going to be recording um, Patchwork Girl of Oz. All right. We're just finishing up the script on that now. The script's done. We're just cleaning it up and t- uh, fine-tuning it a little bit. Okay. I'm really excited to hear that one because I was a fan. <laughs> yeah, that, the Patchwork Girl is very funny. It's a, it's a funny... I, I haven't read all of the books, but so far I think that is the funniest one. We got a great uh, actress playing Patchwork Girl. Ooh. Um, Shana Derrick, she's uh, won some pretty hefty awards. She's a master at comedy, uh, one of Boston's top actors. So I'm real excited about it. Really? Well, well, Scraps has a lot of fans, so I'm really, so I know a lot of Oz fans will be uh, interested yeah. to hear her portrayed because very few. Actually, I think you might have a first here where you might be one of the first few people who have actually gotten this far in adapting the Oz books. Yeah, do you think so? Well, I yeah, I do. Yeah, I don't I don't see a lot of them out there. I don't, I know a lot of people do the first one. Um I don't know how many audio dramas there are of the first one. I I I know that uh, when we released ours, um David Osman released his version which had an all-star cast. And he came out at the same time we did. And I was like, oh, oh no. <laughs> it's like bad timing for us, you know, although I think we were completed before he was. I think we were actually out before he was. But he had the all-star cast, and we had a no-star cast. And I did a talk show with him. We were both on a talk show with, like, the battling Ozes, you know, like... <laughs> I don't know if the host wanted us to do a comparison thing or whatever, but David was wonderful. He deferred to our show so many times and really gave me the the uh, limelight. It was very nice of him. And um, he pointed out that our hurricane, I mean, our tornado scene, he was very happy about that. He said, well, he said, you know, they had to create that. He said, I just went over to Steven Spielberg's house and asked him if I could use his effects from Twister. Ooh. He said, but, you know, these guys had to create all that. And uh, so it was very nice of him. So. Yeah, I like your tornado scene. It sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard his show. I've heard little clips of it, but I've never heard his whole show. I, uh, I, don't, I tend not to listen to a lot of audio drama other than my own for the main reason that when you work on it 20 hours a day, the last thing you want to do is go listen to audio drama. <laughs> so... I tend not to listen to other people's. Alright. Now, I got a few questions here from people who send questions. Yeah. Um, well, um, I have the... Our usual co-host is a guy from Australia named Sam, and he made some notes about how... Uh, he listened to the little oil samples that are available on Audible right now. Mm-hmm. And he noticed a few little changes, and he's he's the type of guy who really gets on to these things. Sure. But uh, he's like, what scenes were you glad to rewrite and adapt, and why? And he points out exactly how Dorothy loses, uh, uh, tries to look for Uncle Henry and Ozma, even though that was a very slight change. <laughs> what did he do? In, what did I do in Ozma? Uh, well, I pretty much in the book, 
uh, uh, Dorothy is, uh, Dorothy and Uncle Henry are, like, in a big sleeping bunk, I guess it's, like, uh, pretty much, the, it, it sounds like they're in a big sleeping berth with a bunch of people, and, uh, Uncle Henry goes down, uh, goes to lay down, and Dorothy can't find him, so she goes on deck, right. but anyways, it sounds like they have their own room, and Uncle Henry goes off to get a cup of coffee. Right. Well, there's. Uh, I, I'm not familiar with the book anymore. Like I said, it was a long time ago. But yeah. chances are, I would make that change if there was a bunch of people in the room because on radio, that's really hard to uh, to portray. If it was a movie, you can just show them in the room and you see all the other people. On radio, I'd have to bring in other voices. Um, I'd need to create dialogue to let the listeners know we're in a room with a lot of bunks, like a third-class room on a steamer or something like that. Yeah. And that just that just eats up time. And I am in that way, you know, I'm just like, it, it's not really pertinent to the story. Yeah. So I had him going out to get a, the car. I don't, I you know, if you were to tell me it was in the book, I'd remember. I, I would tell you, yeah, he goes out and gets a cup of coffee in the book. Because I'm not familiar with the book anymore. I was familiar with it when I wrote it. But like I said, it was 11 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't recall the details, but I know that sometimes I had to make changes um, like that just because it's just easier on, on radio to uh, to just make it as simple as possible. But I didn't change the story, you know. It's still... It's still, it's still, you know, everything um, happens the way it happens. It's just a matter of. It's just a little well, slight thing. Yeah, a little, <laughs> little slight change. Yeah. Uh, I and... didn't have Uncle Henry going off to play poker or something. So. Was... <laughs> oh. oh no, Uncle Henry would write up deeper debt probably. Yeah. You also know how much like classic radio it sounds, and he's like, "Do you enjoy that sort of dis- description?" And decide not to use a simple, almost boring narration. Well, if we did a narration, it just becomes an audio book. If you do a uh, book where you have actors read the lines, but then have a narrator read all the descriptions, then it's a hybrid. It's it's sort of a radio show, but it's sort of a book on tape because they want to get every single bit of dialogue in. So you'll have someone, like when the Scarecrow talks, you'll have an actor read the Scarecrow line, and then a narrator will come on and say, said the Scarecrow. You know, so we don't, I don't like to do that. That's not what we do. We do, we do, um, audio or radio drama. And, um, so I need to create it like a play. I want it to be a movie that you listen to. So Mm -hmm. we want, that's why we have all the music in there. And I learned, like I told you earlier, um, I learned to write for radio by transcribing all these old time shows and I'd write them into scripts. So my shows do sound like the old-time style as far as pacing goes and just overall presentation um, because I learned to write by adapting old-time radio scripts. So it sort of carried over. All right, and now I have some other questions that I got on Facebook here. Uh, and it says, you won awards for your productions. Where do you find such talented children? But I know not quite all of our children no. to fill out the roles in your production. I'm trying to think if we had any kids in the Oz shows. Um, you know, Amy Strack, who played Dorothy, was about 25 when she did the part. 
Um, she sounds like she's 12, but she was oh. in her 20s. And our new Dorothy, Carrie Donovan, is also 25 years old. And she sounds like she's 12. Um, so it's good that way because you get an actress who has a lot of maturity and she knows how to read a line and, you know, something that maybe a 12-year-old might do but not to the level of of what a an actress, uh, an older actress could do. Um, I know when we did um, Tip in um, uh, Marvelous Land of Oz, that was Jonathan Silver, and he was about 12 or 13 at the time. And I had done a production on stage of Oliver, and uh, I asked him if he'd like to play the part in Marvelous Land of Oz. Um, then in Road to Oz, we had the Button Bright character, and that was played by Evan Cole. And I guess he was probably about 10 or 11. He's he's graduating college. He's going to be a senior in college. Can you believe it? That's how all the shows are. Um, but, boy, you know, I don't know, as we had a lot of other kids in there, um, but the kids that we do have at Colonial Radio, we usually get them from references from people who have worked with them on stage shows. Um we we tend not to we used to but we don't anymore just take a chance on anybody we we have to see them or I have to know that they're coming highly recommended by people whose opinions I I trust because once you're recorded it's there forever you know yep. it's got to be as good as you can get it All right. oh a little tip and if you get to the scarecrow bars one of those little eyes books. Buttons by a button bites back in that, but he's older, so you can recast. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> What's that? The scarecrow Vaz? Yes. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> I. Um. All right. Some of the, some of these other questions we kind of already covered. Uh, okay, and then here comes one because it's the Oz fandom. All right, it it isn't easy to make an audio of one of the most well-known movies in Western culture. Weren't you intimidated to take on Judy Garland and her ruby slippers, especially considering she had already done an audio version of it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the question we got. What about about it's not easy to do it? Well, they were asking if you were intimidated because it's The Wizard of Oz. No, no, I wasn't intimidated because I, you know. I would be intimidated if I was making a movie. You'd be foolish to make a movie of The Wizard of Oz. And I know they're doing something with The Wizard of Oz somewhere, and I just think it's absurd. I mean, leave it alone. It's a classic. It's about as good as a movie's ever going to get. It doesn't show its age in any way whatsoever. I would never make a movie of The Wizard of Oz. But I would do an audio version because The Wizard of Oz, the motion picture, is not the book. It's 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 an interpretation of the book, and a, and a real good one. You know, it's one of my favorite movies. But it's not the true book, and you know I wouldn't do an audio version and say, well, we're going to throw the book out and do it the way MGM did. You know, why? It's already been done. So yeah. leave it alone, and that's it. So when I read the book and I saw all the different things, I loved it. I said, I want to do the thing. I want to do the bit with the scarecrow stuck in the in the middle of the river on a pole. I remember when I was a, 
uh, a kid, I had a Viewmaster of the Wizard of Oz, and it was like with little puppet people kind of thing. And I remember vividly the scarecrow picture of the scarecrow in the middle of the pond and the dork coming to help. So I really wanted to do that. I was disappointed that the witch is only in it for about a chapter or so. Um, I, I thought that's something the movie did brilliantly was to bring the witch in much more than, than she appears in the book. Um, but we didn't do that. We wanted to stay right with, with the book. So, um, we didn't, uh, we didn't do it. I, in the, in the version that's out with brilliance, there are some scenes you, you'll probably notice if you hear them, there's some scenes that I edited out. I, I just didn't think they worked on radio and I'd, wa- I'd listen to the show with a bunch of kids and I'd see them starting to wander. And I just don't think we pulled it off as good as we maybe should have. So I did trim it down a little bit, but I think it's a much better presentation now than we had originally. And I cut the the scene with the uh, now you're you're gonna know it. I don't remember what they're called with the big tiger heads when they're they're chasing that. What are they called? The Calidas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, cut yeah, the yeah, Calidas? I cut that one scene out because I just didn't think it was working. I thought I thought we were too slow with it, and I didn't. Uh, I wasn't happy with it. Uh-huh. But um, but it, you know it works it works you don't miss it the the part with the wizard appearing differently to all the people I thought that was fantastic in the book so we did it instead of the way the movie is so I wasn't intimidated because it was a whole different medium and um, I was I was very comfortable with it and when we got into the others um, I wasn't concerned at all because there was nothing to judge them against except the books. And and you know we did the books, so I wasn't uh, worried. We if there were other radio, if the BBC, for example, had done a whole set of all of the books, I never would have done these hmm. because they're already done. Why, why you know I think it'd be very presumptuous of me to to do take on the whole series. And I've done shows that other audio companies have done, like Kidnapped and Treasure Island and and Moonfleet. Uh, there's a version of Moonfleet, which is a great 18th century novel that you can get, and it's about 70 minutes long. Well, our Moonfleet's five and a half hours. So we did the whole book. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with an abridgment. I'm just saying that, you know, I didn't, it's it's not like we were going to do exactly what they did. So we did it a little differently, and and it worked. So I'm excited about the Oz, as I intend to do all all of them that we can for, for the L. Frank Baum uh, series. I, I won't go beyond Frank Baum. Yeah. Uh, but I'll, I want to do his. We're just about halfway there now, so why stop? And it won't be another 11 years before we're done. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> we're going to keep them moving uh, uh, on a pretty regular schedule. Yeah. Yeah, the books after L. Frank Baum... Uh, you get cop and copyrights and some really confusing storylines there. Well, I don't care about the copyrights because we we can get the the license to do them. You know, we do books that are in the public domain, but we don't exclusively do books in public domain. We can we go after and, and get the licenses for them. But I don't want to. You know, those aren't Baum's vision. Those aren't his books. There are other authors that continue, and that's fine. But I I want to do the original set. Because in each one of our shows, we have Al Frank Baum introduce them himself, and and then he does the the closing of the books. And I and I'm not going to 
suddenly have someone playing another author, and no, we're not going to do that. Nah. And I think 14 is a pretty good number. Yeah, it is. It's a, a lot of work there. Because they're not easy to do. They, they, I remember the Tin Man. We had to do sound effects for the Tin Man walking. Uh, you know, it's not, it's not something that's readily available. And I, I remember we had three people uh, manipulating the sound for the Tin Man. Uh, it was recorded all in advance. The sound effects for the Tin Man were done well in advance. It's not like we were recording the dialogue and then we had to have people do Tin Man sound effects. Our, our, when we record a show, all we have in the room is the actors and they read the lines. And then when it goes into editing, all the sound effects and all the music is put in. And for the Tin Man, we had a variety of pans, not pans, but like metal objects, uh, sort of things that look like coffee cans, but they weren't coffee cans. They were just really heavy-duty contraptions, and we had them on a rope. And we had two of them, and they were weighted at the bottom. So two people would have the, uh, well, one person would be holding the ropes, and they would make a walking movement with it. And then another person had uh, a device that we had that made that squeak sound, the metal-on-metal squeak, and they would be doing it in conjunction with the walking sounds. And that's how we did the Tin Man. And it was was a lot of work. (laughs) Because I remember saying, oh, we couldn't get the walking right, and... You know, it was tough, and um, but I love the effect. I'm, I'm glad and when we went to uh, to redo this um, Emerald City of Oz. I was trying to find all the old sound effects that we used because you know how it is—you change computers and all that stuff. Yeah. And um, luckily, I found in a box. I found our original uh, Foley CD with all of those effects on it, so I was very happy. Because I said, I don't want to go through that again, because I don't even know how we did it the first time. <laughs> it was a lot of work. And uh, we had a good time. It, they were they were fun. I remember them as being very fun sessions. They weren't tense. They weren't... Uh, they, were, they were done very quickly. They were all done in a single session. So we'd start recording a, a show at noontime, and we'd be done by 4 o'clock. Uh, none of them were rehearsed. They were all done um, on the first cold reading. We'd go back and fix mistakes, or I might stop and say, hey, let's do this scene a little differently. But it's not like we went in and rehearsed them. So that's one reason why it's hard to recall a lot of the process 11 years later, because it's not like we spent three months on each one, you know? So a lot of the memories get clouded, but... uh, for me, I remember when when our publisher said, let's release five of them all at once. So suddenly I had like just a, a very few months to get all of those done. We Those first five shows were done within, I want to say like, well, let's see, three months. They were done in three months. And then edited probably, I think I finished editing by December. By January, I think they were out. January or February. I forget what the release date. I want to say February or March. I just looked it up on Amazon. It says uh, February 2001. Yeah, because I, I remember my mom got to see it. My mom passed away in April. She had cancer, and I remember she got to see the final release version, the the, the big box of cassettes. 
Uh. Um, so that's why I'm thinking my my time is right. Yeah, it wasn't '99. It was it was 2000 that we recorded. So they were done very quickly. And when you think that we have shows that take seven or eight months to do a single show, to do all those five Oz's in, in that short a time, it's. I think that's why I was a little burned out at the end of it. So you got five of them done in the year 2000, and it was just complete coincidence that that also happened to be the 100th anniversary of the first book? I didn't even think of the 100th anniversary of the book. Wow. I wasn't even thinking that. I, I did the first one for my for my little cousin. Her name is on there, on the box. Um, I did it because I thought she'd like The Wizard of Oz to, to listen to in the car and stuff like that. Um, I never even gave a thought of the of the hundredth anniversary until you just mentioned it. Wow! It never crossed my mind. We did. I think that our attempt on the Emerald City of Oz was done in two thousand three, and I shut that down, and we never finished it. And um, so here we are. And I can officially tell you that uh, the sixth one is done. It's recorded. It's in the can. It's just waiting for the editing. And as soon as we we're working on uh, Return to Treasure Island right now. And then she has a um, half-hour Father Brown episode to do. And then she starts in on Emerald City. We're going to try. I can't make any promises, but I'm going to try to get it on the air um, for a broadcast in uh, at Christmas time on our Sirius XM radio show. All right. But, you know, it's hard to tell if we're going to be able to do that. We don't know if we're going to hit any production issues or whatever. But in any case, it'll definitely be out on CD sometime in um, uh, 2012. Okay. Next year, probably summertime, I'm going to guess, because well, it might come out earlier. It depends. They're, they're they're doing very well. I'm getting some really nice response from people about them. So that's the story. All right. And there's one last little question I have, and I don't know if you really exactly want to answer this, but why is the Wogglebug called the Wogglebug? Oh, well... I'll tell you. That that's gonna haunt me till I die. Um, there are two reasons why, and they're both due to my my. It's my own fault. When I did these books, I used an online uh, text of the books, and the particular online text that I used, it was called. Um, the Wooglebug. That's how they spelled it. So I figured that's what it was. Because like I said, I was not an Oz aficionado. After we recorded it and um, it was edited, I actually saw in a book, I said I saw it spelled as the Wogglebug. And I said, oh, no. And uh, I said, and of course, my first thought was the book was wrong. So I said, you know, the but the text I used from the online must must be right. So I went and checked a couple of other online texts of uh of the story and I picked the wrong one. But before I made that discovery, I I learned that that the Woggle Bug of Oz is banned in a lot of places. Are you familiar with that? Uh I, I heard that it had been banned, and I thought at the time because Wogglebug, I thought, well, you know, the word, it, it's a derogatory term in in some places. The you know, the wog, Woggle. 
So I uh, I said maybe that's why I was banned. So maybe I shouldn't do it anyway. And and I just I just went with the woogle bug. And I regret it. You know I wish I had done it right. The big decision was what do we do on Emerald City of Oz? Do we change it back to what it should be, or do we stay with what we have for consistency? And we decided to stay with the way we've been doing it because otherwise it's just going to create more, more, um, you know, uh, discussion if we changed it mid 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 series. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. What do you think we should have done? You think we should have changed it back to what it was or what? It's not something I'm exactly too worried about. Yeah, I. I, I confess I should have done more research on it at the time, but like I said, if you can imagine what it's like to to have to do all of these Oz projects on a on a deadline, and we had a we had a very serious deadline for these shows. I didn't spend the time I probably would have spent had I been doing these at my own leisure. You know, like I said, you get three months to get these shows done. That that's almost impossible to do. So we. Uh, I didn't catch it like I should have. But then when I did, I was like, oh, man, and I I fell awful. But then I heard and I read several places that the Woggle Bug of Oz had been banned for racial reasons or whatever. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's why the online text was changed. I was trying to justify it to myself, but I didn't have time to, to really uh, figure it out. So I just went with what I thought was right at the time, and it turned out that I was probably wrong. <laughs> but uh, I can't, I can't go back. But you know, it's a small thing, and I think only Oz purists would catch it. We've been reviewed many times, and and I think the only one that uh, that wrote it up was um, on on a Wizard of Oz website, and they they called us on it. Yeah. And they didn't seem it didn't seem to bother them too much. It's just something like, oh, that's weird. Okay, but I mean, we guys things have gotten a lot worse. Yeah, I I know. I feel bad for it, and and um, it, it's pretty much impossible to go back and fix it. And um, but I thought, well, it's not too bad. I mean, we at least it's close to what it was, and and I don't know. Maybe it's it, it's. Uh, you know, as long as the story doesn't change, you know, we didn't change any of the story, so we're yeah. going to give us an A for effort on that one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, he actually gets cut, cut out a lot from a lot of uh, adaptations of it, so it's like, he's there! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think I think, um, I think there is something to the racial aspect of it. I mean, it was banned, I guess, for a while. It was hard to find the book and, and all that. I don't know why it was banned. I've never read it. We're uh, going to get to it. You know. Um. Well, funny story about that one. I think what you're actually talking about is called the Wogglebug Book, and it's it tied in with the stories where the character that Alfred Baum wrote for newspapers, where the Wogglebug and his friends go to America and visit. And so this is a story about him, the Wogglebug, uh, visiting America, and he spots a plaid dress that catches his eye, and he likes the pattern on it. So. The entire story is him trying to get this dress. Oh. If you skipped it, Oz fans would not blame him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I'll have to tackle that when we get to it. <sighs> I, I think if we don't do it, though, you know, we we will n- not be able to have the complete series. Hmm. We'd be, you know, we'd be missed. I mean, it is part of the original Oz books, right? 
Uh, it's not one of the fourteen actually. It's listed with a lot of with them. Isn't, well, what am I thinking of? Isn't there another Woggle Bug book? Well, if there is, it isn't by Off My Bomb. <laughs> okay, all right. So maybe I have nothing to worry about. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but um, I, I, you know, we have uh, Patchwork all written. It's going to record in September, and then the. Uh, What's the one after that? Is it the Scarecrow Vaz after that? TikTok Vaz. TikTok, yeah, 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 yeah. TikTok. That um, that'll be the next one. So we probably won't be recording that till early, early 2012 sometime. But um, you know, I I imagine by sometime in early 2013, mid 2013, we'll have the whole series complete. We're right. going to keep them on our schedule. There, there, there's always going to be an eye show in production around here until we're done. Okay. In, in one way or other, you know, some form of production, whether it's uh, pre-production or script writing or post-production, um, it's it, we're going to finish them. Anything you want to say to the Oz fans here who've been curious or listening to your shows? Well, I'm just glad that we're able to keep the Oz stories going in terms of of, in, uh, of recorded media because there's probably never going to be a movie of all of them, unfortunately. I, I wish that Hollywood, instead of coming up with some other twist on the Oz stories, would just record the books, would just film the books, just just do the books. That's what made them great. Why change it? Why why do your own thing and create prequels and all that stuff? So, at least at least with the shows that we're doing, uh, until someone comes around and and does them better whether they be with movies or big tv specials or whatever i'm very happy that we're able to do them so kids can listen to them with all different characters and voices and sound effects and all that and um it's it's great to read the books and it's great to just sit back and just be entertained as well yeah and i'm glad that we're able to do that and um you know i i don't i'm not sure about i'm going to go back now and look at that ozma book at the beginning and see what I did, what I changed it with, but I can tell you that the the rest of the stories, um, I didn't put any of my own scenes in there, my own slant on things. I just took it right from the book. L. Frank Baum has a very definitive way of writing, and I'm not going to encringe upon that and do my own my own thing. Sometimes we had abridged a sequences, uh, just for time reasons, you know. And um, and on radio, you can't just suddenly bring a voice in out of nowhere without identifying who it is, because people are going to say, "Well, who's that?" So we did have to do little cut, little corners here and there, but we did not change the contents of the story. Yeah. But they've been around for 11 years now, and I hope they'll be around for a lot more. And um, we're just going to keep going until we're done, and then after that, we'll find we'll find something else to do. <laughs> okay. Well, I've been, well, I've enjoyed them for the past eleven years almost. Yeah, have you heard any of the new ones from Brilliance? I, I haven't heard the new edits yet. I, I didn't really know till you just confirmed it now that they've been edited. I mean, I took a look at the length on Audible. I'm like, that looks shorter. I I personally like them better. I, I it drives me crazy when I was listening to to some of them. I'm like, ah, because I just didn't think we pulled off the scene as good as it could be. Uh, and we're talking minor things here. It's it's something that I think only someone who's listened to them over and over would would really catch. Um, but uh, they're fun shows. They're a lot of fun shows. They're, they're, he was a great storyteller, and it's it's sad that that he died uh, so young because he could have. I'm sure he had a lot of more books in him. 
and uh, I'd love to do his Life and Adventures of Santa Claus someday. Ooh, that would be a great one. Yeah, I'd love to do that one. I love that. So, book. <laughs> yeah, so we have we have some 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 good opportunities there to to keep his 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 legacy going as best we can, and and with these wonderful stories, and I hope the kids like them. And yeah, he did a lot of stories that were all set in the same universe as ours. So right, right. Yeah. That's a wonderful story in itself. The fact that you know it, it started to become such a real place for these listeners that he had to create and make it invisible because kids were going to go look for Oz. And, <laughs> you know that's that's powerful stuff. In, in the in the age before television and and radio, you know the kids would read these books and take them to heart so much that he actually they actually became real people to these kids, and he actually had to start. Well, you know the story. I mean, yeah. That's a story in itself, his his life story. It is. And and how these kids would start to think like, oh, I'm going to go find Oz. And he finally had to say, no, don't look because you won't find it because it's invisible now. And it's it's fascinating to me that, that uh, it had that much power. It, it, this book had a spell over people from day one. And it's it's amazing that in this age of, of push button entertainment and 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 video games and, and everything that these stories still capture the imagination of of kids because there's nothing else from that time period that I can think of that still does. There's not a lot of books. I, I you know there's not a lot of kids today getting all wrapped up in the world of Tom Sawyer. You know, um, they, it's just too slow for them or whatever. They might read it because they have to in school. But the Wizard of Oz, I think, still has uh, this little magic spell that uh, it's quite extraordinary. Okay, well, thanks, Carrie, for talking to us here. Yeah, well, my pleasure. I had a good time. And I'm looking forward to uh, hearing more from Colonial Radio Theater on the uh, uh, from Oz. And if uh, people want to check it out, it's colonialradio.com, right? That's right. Yeah, and we have a blog. You can go to our website. We have a blog. Uh, we have a podcast section, um, but you can write questions in on the blog there, and I'll, I'll see them there if you have any questions about anything. or And that's where we'll update any time a new show is in production, or if you want to watch for Oz News, that's where it will be on the Colonial Radio blog, and you can get that right on our site at colonialradio.com. And we're on Facebook, too. We have Colonial Radio Theater on Facebook. So, Thanks again for being on here. Great. My pleasure. And thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been Jared Davis with Jerry Robbins. Have a good one, everybody.